Hello and welcome to the Scenic Podcast. This week, I got to sit down with my friend, writer Ryan Britt. Ryan's writing has appeared on Tour.com, Electric Literature, The New York Times, and many others. On November 24th, his first book, a collection of essays entitled Luke Skywalker Can't Read and Other Geeky Truths, will be published by Plume, an imprint of Penguin Random House. As a fellow fan of science and other genre fiction, I had a chance to talk to him about a whole spectrum of topics and authors, from Asimov to Vonnegut and everything in between. If you are a fan of books and literature in general, I think you'll enjoy this episode. You may want to have a pen and paper next to you to write down all the titles of the amazing books we're going to talk about. After our conversation, be sure to keep listening to hear the essay, The Fans Awaken, from Ryan's forthcoming book. By the way, it's currently available to pre-order at barnesandnoble.com as well as amazon.com. Also, head over to ryanbrittwriter.com to check out his links to his other writings. And now, here is the Scenic Podcast, episode number eight, with Ryan Britt. Hey. Hey, what's up? What's going on, Ryan? What's up, Jason? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me over at your, uh, this little bookstore here. Yeah, so... This is fantastic. Tell yeah. me about this. So, yeah, this is my, uh, my friend C.C. James, uh, one of the owners of this place. Um, this is uh, Singularity & Co. It is a used science fiction fantasy pulp bookstore. It is, as far as I know, the only science fiction bookstore in New York City. Um, Specifically for science fiction? For science fiction and genre fiction. Yeah. Yeah, and they run a publishing company as well that puts old... Like old sci-fi and fantasy books, um, back in print as eBooks. Okay. So yeah, it's um, I've been uh, I used to I ran a reading series here. Yeah. We, we had like cool, cool writers like everyone from like oh, Fira Eisenberg to like Lev Grossman have read some of their favorite science fiction stories here. And yeah, I'm a friend of the bookstore and I teach a class here. It's yeah. definitely I mean it's very cool. I had no idea this existed until you said, hey, come out to come out to Dumbo and. Uh... Let's chat out here. But no, this is great. This actually, I think it makes so much sense to talk to you in this bookstore. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I feel yeah. like I feel like I feel like if you weren't writing, this is probably where you would be. Yeah, no, I would probably. Yeah, no, I would probably just be. I'd be a customer, or I'd be sleeping here, yeah, or exactly. something. You know, like yeah. No, it's really cool to be surrounded. I mean, I, I, I think my Instagram feed is half me taking. Um, Photographs of the book covers here. Okay. Because some of the book covers here are so outrageous. Well, you just showed me that fantastic. Yeah, uh, this Lee bracket. Lee bracket. Yeah. Like that's great. Well, yeah. These other ones that are next to us here are also super racy. Okay. Because these are like there's like fantasy of like slave slave girl fantasy stuff and like many of them written by women I might add. Um, but uh, just yeah, like look at yeah. this nonsense. Like this is just what is going on there, <laughs> you know. But I think that you know there's there's a. There's a, a, a not everything in this store is is good quality science fiction. Some of it is you know old pulp kind of kind of trashy and yeah. and sometimes a little horrifying in terms of the um, you know socio political stuff. But some of it is amazing. We have a table of like you know uh, there's a table over there of like uh, science fiction written by women and C J Sherry is on there and Vonda McIntyre and just like these amazing um, books that you know a lot of people that are really into literature. Um, they haven't read science fiction. They probably might not read it. Or Le Guin, you know these kind of amazing. Well, I was just gonna say, yeah. like, it's actually surprising that that shows you how ignorant I am, I guess, in the terms of science fiction, which I love. But I didn't realize that there were a lot of female writers. Well, you know, I'm definitely you... not. I'm definitely not the person to be an expert on this. You yeah. know, and there's, you know, there's an essay in my book about Barbarella and how it kind of like introduced me to feminism. But I mean, I'm definitely not an expert on this. Yeah. Um, 
I would say that that is a long conversation, and if you wanted to, uh, <laughs> uh, there are uh, there's a, a, a woman named Kay Tempers Bradford who has written about this online extensively, and um, Nora Jeminson, who is a really good fantasy novelist, and both of them. My friend Emily Asher Perrin, uh, who is a, a blogger and used to be my cohort at Tor.com, you know, they could all. Um, who else? There's a lot of women who write about this um, all the time. Cameron mm-hmm. Hurley. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, 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 I would I would not be the uh, person to do the history of Understood. women in science fiction, but but I but I do know and read a lot of people that that could do it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Um, so it's fun. So I just want to ask you. So we were talking. You're just saying about uh, obviously a lot of these books were trashy, considered sure. pulp, whatever. Like, so I mean, it's just interesting. Like, I I really do enjoy science fiction. I don't set out to read it specifically, but I mean, I read obviously all genres. Sure. And whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. year. I mean, I think the very first science fiction I feel like. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't the very first science fiction I was uh, privy to was probably in sixth grade, seventh grade maybe where. Uh, a librarian at my at my at, at my school. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was working because I worked in AV. Nice. Like a good nerd. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, helping to set up the films. Yeah, I mean, well, you because you had to be in control, right? And you don't have to deal. Oh, yeah. and, and then like, it was great. You have to, and you also don't just have to, let me do it. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And it's all, but also you get to like have yeah, it's great. You have your own private thing. Cool. So we're talking to talking to the teacher, and he was talking to myself and one other another friend, and we were just shooting the shit about books or whatever and he started talking about the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy mm. douglas adams yeah douglas adams and that was probably the very first that i remember i mean again i probably was reading it when i was a little kid because i i loved writing short stories when mm-hmm. i was in elementary school yeah. you know because it's like all right here's a project and they think that as as best they can the public school system at least back then was like trying to mm-hmm. get you to write right sure um and uh so i checked that book out like in love with it. Yeah. I probably read it a couple times. I mean, I probably read it once every five years. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, I think I might read it once a year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, yeah, I always make, you know, I I, I sometimes really forget that my references are not going to be understood by people in casual conversation. <laughs> and so, like, I'll often say to somebody, oh, you got some Zaphod Beeblebrock's action over here. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, you know, he's got two heads and you're saying things that are contradictory. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. what, what? Who's Zaphod Beeblebrock's? Yeah. I was like, I Sam Rockwell played him in the movie, like yeah, the movie like, of what? Yeah. Oh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? The movie Douglas Adams. No, I've actually was walking yeah. through the city about a month ago, and I said to, uh, I said to my girlfriend, like, man, I wish I had a Babelfish. Yeah, and yeah, she yeah. was like, like yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, it's just, I, I can't explain it. Yeah, it's just too long. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, those books are so. I mean, those books are so great. You know, I, I don't, I, I didn't write about Douglas Adams in my book that much. That's gonna have to be. There's so many things that like got left out um let's talk about your book a little bit so congratulations on oh, that thanks, so you're yeah. it's uh, coming out at the end of the year yeah? november 24th uh thank you for putting it on my birthday i appreciate yeah that. that's right you mentioned that online i remember when yeah. i put the cover up yeah um <laughs> yeah so it's called luke skywalker can't read and other geeky truths okay. um it is an essay collection <clears throat> about science fiction fantasy geek culture um and so the you know the essay um that you'll that i'm doing for you is a little bit more analysis about star wars but some of them are personal essays about you know, watching Barbarella with my dad or yeah. um, my friends and I wearing um, T-shirts to the premiere of the uh, last Star Wars movie, Revenge of the Sith. We wore T-shirts that said, George Lucas is a virgin on them, <laughs> uh, which people misinterpreted as us not liking Star Wars. 
Um, but yeah, so there, there's a per, oh there's personal God. essays and, and sort of like pop culture analysis. Yeah. I think right. that the, um, the elevator pitch uh, that my um, my agent and I sort of had was like, you know, you read these essay collections from guys like Chuck Klosterman and Rob Sheffield, who are big, yeah, big, influence, big influences of mine. Yeah, um, and fantastic books. I was, re- you know, I remember reading years ago, um, talking to girls about Duran Duran. Oh, so good. And um, I was thinking, God, I wish I could do this, what Rob does, only with the stuff I know about. And so I think that that's kind of was the inspiration for this book. And I had been, um, you know, I had been writing about uh, science fiction and comic books and stuff um, mm-hmm. for several years professionally. You know, I, I used to be a writer at Tor.com, and mm-hmm. I and then I, you know, I've since kind of branched out and written for other places right. um, about this. So yeah, at some point, I just started writing about this stuff all the time, and then yeah. I was like, oh, I really want to do something with this. And so that's that's if the the book is not for the expert necessarily, though. I think that it's. It's for I, I I think that it's for everybody. Okay. If you have a mild interest in any of this, um, or you're just sort of uh, my one of my best friends, who's my my roommate in Bushwick. She you know and I bonded because we like both love music and yeah. like we both love like you know um, Ryan Adams and and uh, and uh, shoegaze and you know okay. like uh, you know uh, Wilco. Sure. And um, but she was like, yeah, I didn't. She was like, I I love the Back to the Future essay, you know. But I, and I learned a lot about you know Sherlock Holmes. Um, so yeah, there's a yeah. That's that's kind of a in a in a nutshell. I feel like yeah. there's so I feel like there's so many things we can talk about. Because yeah, you just, you just said in that sentence so many things like Back to the Future and Sherlock Holmes, and I know you're a huge, huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Yeah, the essay in my in my book about Sherlock Holmes is called uh, Baker Streets on Infinite Earths, uh, um, which is of course a reference to the DC Comics uh, okay. uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which yeah. is about alternate universes, but. Um, yeah, I wrote an essay for a science fiction magazine called Clark's World a number of years ago. It's probably the oldest source material in the book. Um, the essay in the book is very different from what I published with Clark's World, but I had written an essay about the science fiction connections to Sherlock Holmes. Okay. And I was really interested in that. And this was before... Are there many? There are many. Really? There are many. The, 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 The easiest one, and this is something that my friend Lynn... Sherlock Holmes goes to space... Well, there are stories that have been written. Really? Yeah, there are numerous. Obviously, not by not by Doyle. Yeah. Uh, there, are the the Lindsay Fay pointed out to me, who's a Sherlock Holmes fan, and mm. like uh, she's a mystery novelist. Um, she's wonderful, um, and she's written Sherlock Holmes pastiches. Um, mm. But she was like, "Well, you got to remember the when Watson meets him in Study in Scarlet, he's perfecting the first chemical blood test. Scientifically, that didn't exist. Oh, okay. And you know, in the Victorian era, so." He's using science fictionally, but there's other stuff in the original stories, like where there's this professor who's like really horny, and so he wants to, um, you know, take a, and he's old, and he wants to take like a <laughs> monkey gland uh-huh. stuff to make him virile, right? Um, but instead, it just turns him into like a monster. So it's like it's a Jekyll and Hyde thing, like where he. So that's like got like a like the, the science got a science fiction element. Sounds like the original invention of Viagra. That's right, but it but it turns somebody into like this monkey, basically. <laughs> no, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Same thing Vi- that's actually <laughs> they just they just keep that out of the commercials. That is a regular side effect of Viagra. I'd forgotten that. But yeah, so um, but the no, natural the, hair growth. The connection I think is that so many science fiction fans like Sherlock Holmes, and um, the big one was there's a connection between Spock from Star Trek. Really. Um, so this guy named Nicholas Meyer, who I interviewed years ago, who's a great guy, he, um, he is the guy who directed and basically wrote Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Wow, um, okay. And that, of course, is a film that really saved Star Trek. And I, talk, I write about that movie a lot in yeah. my book, and, yeah. and like partially because it's such a literary film. 
Uh, you've got Dickens in there. You've got Melville in there. But um, in Star Trek VI, uh, which was also directed and written by Nick Meyer, he has Spock say, um, an ancestor of mine maintained, when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth, which is a Sherlock Holmes quote. And he says, an ancestor of mine. Huh. Um, what's so great about that is because <laughs> Spock is half human. Yeah. It could be a literal ancestor and not right. just an illusion. Right. So then it's like Sherlock Holmes is related to Spock. Right. Which makes perfect <laughs> sense. And when I interviewed Nick Meyer about this, and it's, this, this is in my book, is I said, you know, was that... And he, he was like, well, everybody knew this already with Spock and Sherlock Holmes. And, uh, that, and Nimoy played Holmes at one point because everybody's played Holmes at one point. Um, after Star Trek, you know, um, in, the, in the 70s. Um, and it's like, um, you know... He was like, yeah, it was, a, it was a natural connection. I just made it literal. You know, I just made it. And there's so many other things like that. But, yeah, there's crazy, you know. The, and also the other thing to remember now is that, you know, um, the show Sherlock uh, was written by uh, uh, Stephen Moffat, who's the uh, showrunner of Doctor Who. There you, you know? go. And so, yep. and, 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 there, and there's very, you know, there's similarities. So, uh, there. Are, so yeah. are we, I mean, do you think that, are we supposed to be led to believe that when Star Trek was written, like when the concept was written, that... It was his point to make Spock kind of like a Sherlock Holmes. I think so. I don't. I don't know. Logical and I don't know if Roddenberry necessarily would have done that. Um, I don't know if he was super conscious of it when he created Spock. When Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, created Spock, but Spock is rude because he's intelligent. Sherlock Holmes is rude because he's intelligent. he had, you know, he has an interesting relationship it's with about logic, about facts, about like truth. About right, right, right. And but he's also like made clearer by his more emotional um, com- friends, you know, which is like Watson. You mm. know what I mean? I'm not saying that Kirk, Captain Kirk, would be a good Watson analog. <laughs> I don't think so. But he's more of a military man, and Watson's more of a military man. Sure. And there also is, you know, Doctor McCoy, who's kind of a, the observer. I don't know. I mean, I just think that like the archetype of someone who is nonviolent. Yeah. And, like, inherently, like, then obviously Holmes can take somebody out if he needs to. Right. Um, as can Spock. Yeah. Um, but the, they don't, that's not the primary, you know, with Bond, James Bond are, like, superheroes, you know, so often. And Batman is, a, is, is connected to Sherlock Holmes. You know, people often. Oh, right, because he's, he's a detective. detective and right. he also doesn't, and he has this, you know, no killing and, you know. Right. But, and Batman is very, I think, very, you know, Batman's very sci-fi. I mean, he's got gadgets, you know. And, yeah, yeah. So I think that, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, we can talk about Sherlock Holmes forever. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that, so it was funny, I was thinking about this on the way over here, actually. It's like, again, talking about, I don't really, I, whenever I, I find that there's an interesting book, I mean, if someone recommends something, if it's science fiction, if it's not, I love science fiction, but I don't read it as often as I as I ordinarily, you know, would. Um, I mean, is there really much of a place for science fiction in 2015? Yeah, I mean, because I... when I look back, I mean, you know, indulge me for a second, but when you look back, right, you just even mentioned that they're talking about things back in the 19th century mm-hmm. that were not yet invented. I mean, I feel like now we're getting to a point where it almost feels like everything has been invented. So you look back at Jules Verne, you look at the people who were sort of pioneers, mm-hmm. I just feel like, at what point now, when I see a science fiction film, for instance, mm-hmm. I'm kind of bored. Well, I mean, I guess that, like, it kind of it kind of depends on, I mean, it depends on what you want out do of it. Do you see what I'm saying, though? I know, like, I do, and I think that, like, I, I guess that, like, I, my thing is that there, is that science fiction, it, it, futuristic science fiction, is never supposed to have been predictive, necessarily. Okay. Um, that's not, I don't really think that that's the aim of it. Mm. Um, first of all, yes, 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 there's a place for science fiction. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, 100%. <laughs> there are people writing science fiction novels. Yeah. Many of them are my friends that are amazing. Yeah. Um, 
But, I mean, I'll give you an example of, sure. a, of a novel that was not marketed as science fiction, that was a science fiction novel set in the future that dealt with technologies we have now. Uh, it was a book called The Word Exchange. It's by a friend of mine named Elena Graydon. And she has this near-future New York where um, the dictionary, the rights to the dictionary have been purchased by a tech company. <laughs> because We're not far because off. Because the dictionary was desperate for money. Yeah. And they figured if they copyright the words, there's no way that that's going to impact. Well, of course it does because everybody's hooked up to their, their gizmo in this, in this novel, which sure. she calls a meme. And it's, vaguely, wow. it's this vaguely telepathic smartphone. And what happens is people have to start paying for the definitions of words because they've forgotten it. And if you think that that's not a mirror oh my God, to yeah. the way things are now, and yeah. that's what science fiction is often, is it's not, there's, 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 Asimov has written about this many times, or wrote about this many times, is that he's like, you know, no, people come up to me like, well, gotcha, because you wrote the robot books and you weren't right about the way you wrote It's like, that's not what I'm doing. Right, you he's know what not I mean? he, you know, trying he, to predict. And, and, that, and that's, that's true of anyone else, you know. Um, you know, Steingart wrote uh, Super Sad True Love Story five years five years ago, and he predicted, you know, in a f- near future New York that, you know, Staten Island was going to be the hot place for hipsters. Well, just because, you know, Steingart got that wrong doesn't mean the science fiction novels <laughs> well, suck, you know. I mean, you, I you know. know what I mean. Yeah, you know, of like, um, So, yeah, I think that it absolutely, I think, I think in a way, the, the reason why I think you might say does science fiction have a place is because we live in a science fiction world. Right. Where we have it's happening every we day. We have you know we you know we have devices and we have technology. You know, we have a way. We have all all this stuff that we, and also because you and I grew up in like the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, and so all the boom, Back to the Future, absolutely. You know, uh, Close Encounters. You know, this is part of like we're in, we're grown ups now. We're like in charge. So it's like not weird anymore because our generation came around. Yes, you know what I mean. And so our generation, you know, is like I have a joke in the part of, in the early essay of my book saying like at some point the Gap started selling Star Trek T-shirts. Mm. You know, mm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. that wasn't the case. And no. now, and so I think that what I think that it's been normalized. I think it's been mainstreamed, and I think that that's great. Right. And so in a way, you're right because in a way, I think that some of the definitions will die. Okay. You know, I think yeah. that I think that in because the biases are going away. Well, I guess so. Basically, yeah. basically, back in the let's say back in the fifties, whenever like the the real hotbed of science fiction became, you know, sure. the thing people would call that the it, golden age, which is it, which is debatable, but yeah, right. But it, you know, I think for the layman, that's what they would think that that's probably the time, right? That's when it's like bad science fiction movies sure. are coming out. Bad science, I mean, pulp is coming yeah, out, right? Yeah. But it's all very predictive. Or trying to be predictive. Yeah, I mean it, that that's that's broadly true. Though I would say yeah. that there's a lot of you know there, there, the thing is also is that there's a lot of science fiction literature that like the lay person like isn't aware of. For sure. example, you know, and I and, and I think that you know, good example. Yeah. Um, just because I was talking about Asimov earlier, and, I, and Asimov does pop up in my book a lot, um, is that a good example would be Asimov's robot stories. Um, in the 30s, Asimov was frustrated that there were. Um, robot stories that always ended up being Frankenstein's monster stories. <laughs> They're going to turn on us. Right. So he's like, and I, this is a, I, have to, I read about this in the robot piece yeah. in my book, is he's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. I'm going to write a real science fiction story, you know, about robots, and it's not going to be this Frankenstein's monster story. Well, fuck, like, how's that going? Right. You know, like, right. he's, everybody writes Frankenstein's monster stories about robots, even though Asimov did it. So it's like he was doing something different against okay. the pulp, Right, 
he, and he was he, he did it successfully. What was that? What was that story? Well, the the first story I think was called Nursemaid, which okay. was about a robot that's a nursemaid. Okay. Which is uh, I I believe it's a caregiver. It's, it's a caregiver, yeah. and so then that ends up becoming the iRobot stories. Ah, um, gotcha. And so an iRobot, you know, you watch the film, and it posits the exact opposite message, of of right. of the of the books, which Asimov was like. And I this is a big this is a big uh, pet peeve of mine is that like. <laughs> You don't have to have the technology be the enemy of your science in your science fiction story. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a robot in your science fiction story, and it doesn't need to murder you. Now, now it's exciting when they do. Of course, you know, like in Battlestar Galactica, it's fun. Of course, you know, and like Blade Runner. But I think that, e- but st- stuff like that e- will play with, you know, that they're, they're it's not just like killer technology. You know, they've got like Terminator or something like that, where they're gonna kill us all. You know, right. like and it's just like oh, you know, where it where it becomes this Prometheus, you know, this Prometheus thing. Yeah. You know, which is yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The subtitle but, of Frankenstein, you know. But wouldn't it also? I mean, but I mean, at the end though, too. Like, I, I feel like there's more. There's more of a human element that is behind the tech, right? Yeah. That goes wrong. It's always there's the bad guy who's trying to turn the tech. Against yeah, people. I mean, it just depends, you know. It's still I, a very human story. I mean, I think that, like, you know, I, I, there was two robot movies that came out this year, and um, Ex Machina is probably the better. Oh my the god, the better of them. You so know? good. But Chappie, you know what I mean? Everybody <laughs> hated Chappie. Yeah. And I have to say that the thing I liked about Chappie was it was like Oliver Twist as a robot. Sure. You know, he gets falls in with these criminals, and he's and he, and we're just because he's so it's nature nurture. Yeah. Like just because Chappie was raised by criminals and he's a robot doesn't mean that he wants to be a murderer. Right. You know, and I, I thought that he's a product w- of his environment. Yeah, but 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 the, the, but that there could have been you know because Asimov was like you know in a way if we program the robots correctly they'll take care of us. You know, in a, in, a, in a way that's good. Okay. You know, and not oppress us, and not you know, like, and that's kind of like you know, Data and Star Trek, where Data's very, and he, he was based on a lot of the Asimov stuff, and yeah. Roddenberry was buddies with Asimov, but like that's kind of, that's kind of nice. You know what I mean? I I am interested in those kinds of robots. You know, I made the mistake of watching both those films on the same day, right after each other. No way. Yeah, I. I had heard great things about both of them, uh-huh. and uh, so I. So you hated Chappie. <laughs> but no, but no, it's not that I hated Chappie. It's just I wasn't prepared because I had just watched this amazing. Oh yeah, film. Next Machina is a perfect. Film. I, yeah. I I watched this yeah. this film and I'm like, oh my god, like amazing. She's amazing. The the, the story is brilliant. Um, the the cast is great. And then I immediately watched Chappie, uh, which um, was the. But uh, I loved District Nine. I yeah, well, everybody loves District Nine. Yeah, and so obviously <laughs> yeah. it's the same kind of feel. I feel bad I like, for that guy. I feel like that. that I feel like that guy's <laughs> never gonna. I didn't hate the film. No, I didn't. But I, I just it, thought that it was. I shouldn't have watched it right when I did. Yeah, I feel like that that guy's never gonna recover from from the success of District Nine. It's, you know, it's yeah. like it, no one's gonna. It, no one's gonna. And District Nine is so brilliant and so good and such a good science fiction film. You know, and it's like he's just never in like Elysium. Like I liked half of it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. And I, I like I I didn't like the um, you know there was like that guy who I think is the actor he's like who's like the assassin character uh-huh. who like wasn't in the previews. Right. Like it, like, it was, like, up, like, yeah. like the, in the previews you're like oh this is gonna be like Matt Damon versus Jodie Foster and she's gonna be like this. she's barely in it. <laughs> you know, and it's like what you know, yeah, and yeah. it was like Sigourney Weaver in uh in Chappie. Yeah. Where it was like. Why? Wait, wait! Isn't Sigourney Weaver supposed to be in this movie? Like, you know, like where is she? She's a pusher, a paper pusher. Paper pusher. It's like that was. It was like, and so I feel bad because I feel like that. That I feel like that. Chappie was such a what such a such a strange film, and it was so it was so brave in a way. Sure, but um, yeah, I think that it's just that's 
in a way that in Ex Machina is a very a different, totally different robot movie. Yeah. And I think it takes itself very seriously. I, I had some, you know, I like any of these things. I had some issues. Of course. You know, but I think but, it's, yeah. but it's also, it's taking what would be con- kind of considered a very independent film. Sure. And a very typical blockbuster summer sure. movie. You know, I mean, so you can look at them, if you want to look at them on those levels, they're good films. Right, but if you look at them at the same time like I did, yeah, it's it's a it's tough to well, to do It's almost things. like they flipped though, you know, because sure. like Garland, you know, who uh, wrote uh, uh, Ex Machina, okay. you know, um, and directed it, mm-hmm. his directorial debut. He wrote Twenty Eight Days Later. Oh, that's right. Right, and so like that's like a much I th- I feel like a much more um, commercial right. film in a right. way. Right. I mean, it's definitely like if he has an indie quality, he didn't direct it. Sure. Um, but like so then it's like you know. Um, uh, Blomkampf, right? Like, uh, it was like District Nine was like this indie movie, but now right. like Chappie seems more mainstream. Yeah, you know, it's like well, it's got so much more special effects, and there's yeah. obviously a bigger budget, and there is, yeah. you know, uh, I can't remember the name of the the uh, the the group that's Dyer Artwood Antwood Dyer Antwood, yeah, yeah, yeah. D- yeah. You know, so it's like it's just this it's this thing. You're just like, what the hell is I, going I think on that's here? So strange. I mean, can you imagine? Like, it's like you know what it's like. It's like the fact that Sting is in the movie Dune. Right. You know, it, yes. it's like that. You know, <laughs> like what? And it, Gordon, like, what are you doing here? Well, because it was like you know, there there's that whole thing about the other Dune about Jodorowsky's Dune. Okay. Right. And there was that documentary made about Jodorowsky's Dune. Uh. And he wanted Mick Jagger to be in his Dune. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. that. And then like now there's this thing about how Michael Jackson wanted to be Jar Jar Binks. You know, it's oh like that God. actually happened in Chappie. Like that. Like yeah. he succeeded it. Like yeah. You, what's the other one? There's one about um. Yeah. Coolio is in. Gosh. Coolio is in a superhero movie. Really? As like a minor character. Okay. I can't remember what it is. It's just it's yeah. those it's just that uh, Daredevil. That, is it Daredevil? And he's in deleted scenes and uh, a friend of mine who uh, Greg Cox who's a Star Trek novelist okay. and uh, you, all these guys who are Star Trek novelists uh, uh, Greg is a good example of it. Yeah. My, my friend Keith is another one. You know, these guys do um, uh, novelizations. Okay. Right, and so they're always like, "Oh yeah, the novelization." I didn't know who that character was going to be played by, you know. And so they'll have like, yeah, like just like for a hip hop hip hop artist who wants to break yeah. into the films, they go, "Oh, we'll just get this guy in here." But yeah, it's like these guys that do the novelizations. It blows my mind. It's yeah. such a it's such a skill that like most most people wouldn't think. So you're still doing um, just to change gears a little bit. Are you still playwriting at all? Uh no. Um, writing that's fiction. How, that's how you that's and how I met. met. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. Not really. I think that it, if I've done any plays, it's been like a closet drama. You know what I mean? Where it's like not meant to be. Yeah. I think. Well, I think you. You know. You and I had a conversation years ago when we first met about that too, and I, we were talking about um, the short plays and stuff that we used to do yeah. together, and and. Uh, you had said that basically the playwriting was just a vehicle to exercise your short stories. Yeah, and I, I, I still would say that that's true. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I was working on a, a novel before I decided to do this essay collection. I, now I'm going to finish that and do that next, mm-hmm. and then I'll probably do another essay collection. But yeah, I would love to do. Um, there are there's an essay about one of my plays okay. in 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 in, uh, in the book. Yeah. Um, what play? Uh, do you remember a play called Time Fucker? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would think with a name like that. Um, give me some backstory. It was a play that I wrote with George. I don't know if you remember George no. LaPersio. No, no, oh, no. that might have been before that, your that time been, at Slam yeah. Theater. Yeah. yeah. We had written it in Arizona um, when we were very young. Um, and then we brought it to New York. No, um, we, uh, it was this really dumb... Broadway. We, it was this dumb idea about... Um, 
a guy who was like a like a time traveling like Bond. He okay. was like a, he was like a Buck Rogers. Okay. Kind of like you know I was I think I was unconsciously ripping off of Barbarella and uh, and the idea was that it was sort of going to be like a porn send up. Okay. To where he uh, doesn't know who his ancestor is. Okay. A soothsayer appears to him and tells him, "You're your own ancestor," which is a um, oof. Which is a which is really a riff of a Robert Heinlein story called All You Zombies, where a person is their mother, father, and gives birth to themselves. Um, you know, wow. <laughs> through time okay. travel and sure, you know, and you know, like That's uh, some serious, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, where they they are everybody, right? Um, you know, and um, so Time Fucker has to uh, go, have sex with everyone just to ensure his own existence. Um, <laughs> and it's just a terrible. Terrible play written Sounds by like two college college <laughs> men, yeah. uh, but we I, I think that we, we and we were making fun of the of, I, of, of that you know right. and, and the guy who played Time Fucker was really um, nerdy you know and like dorky and like not cool okay because um, you know if we if we had done that any other way it would right. been, the, the joke would have been gone yeah yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I, mean? I think that in New York I brought it to Slam and I think that uh, Floyd played it and it was all wrong because he was too macho and okay. I'm like, no, no no this isn't supposed to be actually cool this right, is supposed like, to be a joke yeah. it's supposed to be not big good. Seymour like, Krellborg yeah. yeah yeah but it's <laughs> yeah, it, yeah yeah actually so yeah. anyway um, there's an essay in my book about that because the guy who played uh, his other his alias was Buck Falcon um, and so the, the guy who played Buck Falcon in the original production, production is a very, very loose, very strong word to use, um, was a huge um, aficionado of film scores. Okay. And I love film scores too. Yeah, and, but of course that relates a lot to like loving sci-fi movies. And so we ended up using the um, opening theme to a show called Space 1999, um, which was a, yeah. a British TV show. I remember that. And in the seventies, and so it has this funky. Uh, it it had like sounds like this big trumpet fan for like da da da, and then it has yeah. this straight up porno beat that just comes in. With the wah wah guitar, yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. And it shows like all the stuff that's gonna happen in the episode. It's like spaceships, moon, blows, yeah. blowing up, lasers, you know. And so we're like, that's the action. That, I'm like, that's what we're using for uh, the Time Fucker Chronicles. We're gonna use that song when he comes out in the silver suit. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So yeah, just yeah. That's uh, <laughs> that's the that would be the. But yeah, I, I I miss I miss writing plays. I think that I always like you said I was always doing it as an exercise. Um, but yeah, we had fun back then, huh? Yeah, that was good. That yeah. was a good time. Um, so yeah, I, you know, obviously talking about this thing called Slam Theater, which was a, I guess I, I, when I've described it to people, I kind of say it's a it's a playwriting workshopy competition thing, friendly competition. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's how you kind of describe it. Yeah, I guess that I always described it as something that um, you could only really do in your. Um, late 20s or early 30s mm. because um, y you would have to have a tremendous amount of time. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. uh, now if somebody said you have to come here every Sunday yeah. to participate in this I'd be like I don't have time, I don't for, have that. time for this. Exactly. <laughs> but then we were like why aren't more people coming? You know? it, well, it's true. And I'll tell you, but I mean, I, I loved it because it was a fantastic exercise for writing. Oh, gosh. It, it gave it, me a deadline. It was, you know. And I think some of the, some of the best things that I wrote were things that I wrote two days before where I sure. would just start and I would just, that's all I focused on and I would bring in eight or ten pages. I, you know, you know? I, I, I reread one of the full length plays that I produced out of that the other day. Mm. And I was just shocked by how prescient I was on things that I had yet to experience in my life sure. that I had put into that play. Sure. It's so crazy. What we did have people though who <laughs> that were not in this uh, 
age uh-huh. range who were there every that's week. That's true. And they had a, a tremendous output of material. That's true, yeah. Which, I guess that's the thing. I, I don't know if maybe they did have the time, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, so I don't know. I mean, I, I just think, you know, playwriting is obviously very, very, very hard. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a very hard... Yeah. I think that I definitely had, like, this feeling... And, you know, fiction writing is difficult, too. And I don't just mean the process of creating it. I mean the, the professional application of how do you, how do you, how do you make a living how, so how as a so? writer. Oh, know, yeah, making know. a living as a writer. Oh, uh, yeah, de- absolutely. And I think that for me, because I, would, I was already writing criticism and nonfiction, for, essentially for the Internet, I was like, I understood how to make that leap to be an essayist. And I've never really understood how people make that leap as playwriters. Right. Playwriters, playwrights. Yeah. <laughs> I call them playwriters yeah. in, the, in the alternate Absolutely. universe that I'm from. That's right. We, we have different consonants. In alternate yeah. 2015. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, like yeah. We're, yeah, I'm speaking to you from that alternate 2015. Uh, gas prices are really low in my universe. It's, um, it's <laughs> almost a buck. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, have you read, uh, just to kind of like go off topic. Sure, so, yeah. Have you, have you read uh, Jasper Ford's novels? Uh, you know, I the haven't. Air, and people always tell me I would like them because they're very metafiction right? I, yeah. Yeah, I read I read probably the first five or six, and I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming he's still doing it. Now, that's somebody who, I tell you, when he – he was a cinematographer, I believe. His, oh, really? His background was in film. Okay. okay. And he decided one day that he wanted to try to write one of these – write a book. Uh-huh. And so he – Write one of these things. Well, right. Yeah. Write a book. So he wrote a book called The Air Affair. Yeah, about familiar. Jane Eyre, yeah, yeah. Who jumps into fiction in an alternate 1985 in which the um, – the the main conveyance is still blimps, right? Still air travel. Well, that's how you know it's an alternate universe because there's a, that's that we all know that's the that's the first thing the Zeppelin. That's, is, right. that's how you that's how you that's know. That's how you yeah. know, right? Yeah, that's uh, the only way. It's a shorthand. Oh, they, Zeppelin. Yeah, they've cloned dodos. As yeah, pets. yeah, I know about uh, this. Yeah. Right. So anyway, yeah. um, but his output, he was putting out a brand new novel every single year. My God. And these these books are. 400 pages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're science fiction. Right. Uh, because he's he's yeah. got these literary characters who are jumping into novels. Yeah, I should read like these because this is, exa- this is like made for me. I don't know why I haven't you, read these books. Yeah. I, I would tell you, put it on your put it on your iPad yeah, there. Uh, You'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, I know, I know, I know I need to read <laughs> Your these. computer book that Penny yeah. would have had in Inspector Gadget. That's right, yeah. Oh, I didn't write about Inspector Gadget. That's a Sherlock Holmes pastiche right there. Um, I can see that. Uh, well, I guess everything. Anybody who's like kind of a detective. I mean, since he, since uh, Doyle created the, would you say he created the detective? Oh, and people the, would say that that Poe did or oh, other that's people true. did. Yeah, there's a lot of debate. That's true. That's not something that like, I can talk about how Doyle connects to other stuff, but the before, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know as much. Yeah, you, know, you also got to figure Doyle wrote the the um, only reason we have Jurassic Park is because of Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, because he wrote The Lost World, which was uh, oh, right. a, a, an island of dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, not really an island, like a like an incropping of dinosaurs. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the, the uh, it's a dinosaur novel. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, that in present day. Right. Uh, it's, it's, and, you know, of course, uh, Crichton called the sequel to Jurassic Park The Lost World. Right. Um, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. get much better than that. And the ending of the um, film version of The Lost World has a brontosaurus loose in um, London. And in then, of course, the ending of The Lost World, the film, uh, the Jurassic Park film, yeah. Spielberg has a T-Rex loose in San Diego. Okay. Um, so that was definitely a... a nice a, homage. A homage, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. direct ripoff. Direct ripoff. Uh, no, well, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no. I, think it, I think that's fine, though. Yeah, but yeah, they don't like, you know, any, anytime you got dinosaurs, you know, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely science fiction, yeah. But yeah, I haven't read those books. I need to read them. Yeah, I yeah. would, I highly recommend it. And then he went off and he did a, uh, he did another, a series they called the, um... Jeez, I'm completely forgetting. Like the nursery, 
uh, nursery novels. Okay. And it's it's basically a character named Jack Spratt from the oh, nursery, yeah, from yeah, nursery yeah, rhymes, yeah. Um, is also kind of like like a hardened cop. That's awesome. Like he's basically doing a similar thing where he's investigating, like making sure that Humpty Dumpty, well, do, you know. This is of, the script that I had that I do have. And uh, this I this is a joke, but I actually think that this could work as like a screenplay. And I wrote a I wrote a joke article about this earlier in the year for Electric Literature. Yeah. But I don't know if I ever told you my, my idea that they should do straight up steampunk sequel to Christmas Carol called Tiny Tim, <laughs> where Tiny Tim is like twenty. And he's yeah. he's he's just a badass. Yeah. Like so the, the 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 preview is like dusty Victorian alleyway. Some guys running down. These thugs are chasing him. Yeah. Mr. Scrooge wants his money. You know, he's like, oh, I don't got it. I don't got it. And there's like a guy leaning against the wall. One crutch. Yeah. Right. One crutch. Yeah. He like flips like a dusty cigarette and is like, leave him alone. And he's like, what's it to you, mate? You know. And then like, boom, crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Yeah. Crutch. Bam! Yeah, he like just yeah. tiny like kind of like the Sherlock Holmes movies the guy the guy Richie did yes like that kind of fight scene That's only only in its Tiny yeah. Tim yeah 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 and he's got a crutch and it's just like bam 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 and he like destroys all the bad guys and it's just like Tiny Tim Christmas 2017 <laughs> God bless us everyone you know and like his catchphrase <laughs> yeah. his yippee ki yay motherfucker yeah. is God bless us everyone right you know or sometimes suck my dickens you know <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, that's the, he's just like suck my dick in. You know, he, think, he's got like he's got like you know, he, it's like Hansel and Gretel witch hunters. You know, God, it's just that's like the, that's the title of your next uh, book of essays, man. Suck my dickens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, you man. Might, I like Dickens a lot. I write about Dickens a lot yeah. in, the, in, in the book, you know. But yeah, um, I just thought I just was like because there was a whole you know that's fantastic. Abraham Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. There was a whole yes. bunch of these. Yeah, and I, I, I like the. Do idea. you like those books? Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am not ashamed to say it. Like no, I think no. those are fantastic. Well, because Sense and Sensibility and Zombies or Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is finally yeah. being turned into a movie. Yeah, you know, and I I love that shit. You know, yeah. and like I'm just like I really want to do one. Yes, you know, and like I was like, and I love the Christmas Carol so much because yeah. it's got ghosts and time travel yes. and like. I don't think of it as a Christmas novel. I think of it as like a ghost time travel novel. I would say you my know, favorite um, my favorite version of a Christmas, you know, Christmas Carol is probably Scrooged with Bill Murray because I think yeah. that's the I don't know, I think that's it's kind of close. It's very dark, you sure. know, and I think what you're saying would be kind of in the same vein, which would be fantastic. Well, yeah, well, I actually thought that the way to do it would be, you know, because for whatever reason, in my my version of this is like Scrooge just goes back to being evil <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> just... or he's been possessed or something like okay. I like there could be like ghosts in it too. Uh huh. Because I thought it could have like a mid act twist where they're like like we need to take out Scrooge and then it's like Scrooge has been dead or something like that and it's actually the ghost of Christmas Future that's like ah. it, like so it becomes yeah. like a, like a paranormal thing but um, yeah. I thought. You just straight up have Michael Caine, <laughs> because he's a great Scrooge in the Muppets Christmas Carol. He is. I mean that that I'm sorry, but that movie is it, the reason. Other reason I like uh, Muppets Christmas Carol, and this yeah. is going to sound really really weird, but it acknowledges the conceit of the narrator, yeah. which is something that they're because I always I talked about this with with um, a few years ago with the 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 fiction writer Jim Shepard. Okay. And I were talking about a Christmas Carol. We were corresponding, and I was like, people forget how funny it is in the beginning mm -hmm. because Dickens is talking to the reader. Right. And being like, why would I tell you that Marley is dead as a doornail? Well, you need to know that because have you read Hamlet, by Dear the way? Reader. Yeah. And he like said, he like, yeah. and suddenly like, like Dickens goes on this thing about like in Hamlet. Remember Hamlet, guys? And so I like the Muppets Christmas Carol because it acknowledges the narrator and like where Gonzo is Charles Dickens. Right. You know, because there's an oral aspect to a Christmas Carol. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it reads very much like a, can you believe this? Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> Meanwhile, like, over yeah, here. Where it's really talking a lot to the re- And I like that. And so I, I, I like Muppet's Christmas Carol. But yeah, um, <laughs> not, none of them will be as good as Tiny Tim. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my magnum opus. That's fantastic. Never, never get made. Yeah. I think another thing that you and I used to talk about uh, quite a bit was uh, Mr. Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's another, I mean, you could probably go on and on about. <laughs> yeah, I've got a Vonnegut quote in the beginning of my book okay. um, where he talks about the definition of science fiction, and um, mostly he, he says that it exists so people who are in science fiction communities can stay up late arguing about what the definition of science fiction is. <laughs> you know, wow. like, that's why there's science fiction. He was fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, I love, I, I, he's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. which one of his, of his books is your favorite? The Sirens of Titan is definitely Dude, my favorite. mine too. And my, one of my favorite novels of all time. I Perhaps just, my favorite novel of all time. I just finished reading that probably about three months ago. I just re- oh, yeah. reread it again. I read it, like, I, I read it all the time. Yeah, yeah it, it was just one of the things that I, I was, uh, Packing up my books because I just moved recently. I was right, right, packing right. up yeah. books and I was like pulling things out and I, there was my Sirens of Titan. And I was like, I've got to read this again. I and, mean, uh, it's just got it all. It had been it had been a while. Yeah. yeah, it's got it all to me. It's got the the just the heartbreaking twists and then it's got, you know, Martian attack, but they're actually humans. Yeah. And you know, you've got the time travel guy, you've got the time travel dog. Yeah. Um, Kazak, you know, like all that. Uh, yeah, I mean that book just it, it just it's got religion. It's got. Yeah, yeah, it's got like this stuff that sort of um, he kind of does. You know, it reminds me of a little bit of Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, okay. which of course is about a guy, Valentine Michael Smith, who is raised on Mars and hangs out with humans. It's very, very famous. Yeah, it's where we get the the word grok comes from that book. Oh. Um, would to understand to comprehend, sure. right? Yeah, but like Vonnegut kind of does that better yeah. in Sirens of Titan. With um uh uh the ah help me uh, uh we'll 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 think about it later yeah 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 we'll remember it later too you many can, names you're gonna edit that back in. yeah um <laughs> but yeah but I think that I think Vonnegut almost does that that idea of someone being like because he's like the, the holy spaceman you know what right. I mean where it like becomes this messiah yes I I think he he and, and you know everybody's like oh you know like and he predicts his coming and it is that's like right. this and everyone obviously just takes it at face value yeah, yeah. like oh of course yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know that that one. I mean, I the thing is, is they're all good, you know. They're all good. Yeah, I, yeah. I used to say player piano wasn't any good, but I'm wrong. It's good. It's just mm. it's just so early. Yeah. So the prose isn't the same. Pro, pro, player piano is his first novel. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah, I had a hard time getting through that one. Yeah. No, actually. me too. But it, it, it's it, it's good though. Like yeah. it's like, it, I mean, it's not my favorite. It wouldn't be in my top ten Vonnegut Understood. novels. But the fact that I've read more than ten Vonnegut novels yes. is, is telling. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. very few writers I think have people read. You know, the average person has not read more than this is Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Like more than five books by the same author, right? Well, that's true. You know, like you think about it. Uh, if, if you're a voracious reader, it's common. But like with Vonnegut, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm like, ah, yeah. Like how many are there? You know, like they're they're like what? Like there's like twenty. Yeah. Like there's a lot. Yeah, yeah there are a lot. <laughs> you know, and like, that, that's that's just counting his novels. That's not counting. That's not kind of short stories and like nonfiction. And, yeah, oh my yeah. god, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the 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 books that were put out of the collection of his short stories and his essays and his you know whatnot. Um, do you think Harry Potter was a good thing? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think she's a genius. Yeah. I think that she's an absolute genius. Uh, I read about Harry Potter a little bit in my book. Um, I mean, you got to figure. I don't remember the exact numbers, um, but off the top of my head, but like the amount of time between like sort of like um, Once and Future King, right? Like okay. White and um, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Sure, significant amount of time. Wizards are now Harry Potter. Right. Like and that's a like the fifties when mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings comes out, and then like the nineties, like four in forty years, that's nothing. Right. It's the blink of a cultural eye. Rolling, 
replaced wizards. Wizards are now not Gandalf. Right. They're regular looking They're everybody. people. Yeah. And I think that is that alone is brilliant. You know, um but yeah, Harry Potter is I think it's easy to get cranky about it, but you know, you've got it's also like I think Rowling also stole fantasy away from the boys too. And mm. I think that was and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that like to, to and and she's the most and she's such a great supporter of her fans, but she's such an iconoclast in general. Right. Um and you know, there's the Harry Potter play coming out and it's just like it's not a prequel. It's like, what the fuck is it then? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, like but um I yeah. think it created so many you know, I'm buddies with the the novelist Lev Grossman who wrote the Magicians series, mm. which is mm-hmm. all the kind of like you know, and he did directly is like this is what wouldn't have happened without Harry Potter. But there's all this fandom that exists because of Harry Potter and all these readers that were created. Right. And the, I think that seems to be the most important part, right? I mean, I feel like as much as people have seemed to to kind of shit on her or or the Harry Potter series, the fact that there are kids who are actually now reading and wanting to read, you know, do you find that? Cause I yeah, know you, but I mean, at the same time, but and they're also not bad, you know what right. I mean? Because like, it's like, you know, oh, there's also pe- kids that started reading because of Sweet Valley High. Sure. Or the, you know, but those books aren't any good. Of course. You know, like, I, I mean, you, you <laughs> read a book like Harry Potter, like the third Harry Potter book is my favorite Harry Potter book, probably because there's time travel in it. Ah, uh, um, yeah. But uh, that... Um, it's probably my favorite film. It's my favorite film and my favorite book. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, Curon, you know, is yeah. I, that, I thought that was a fantastic. I mean, it yeah. really is. My it's the best film. looking of yeah. the movies, yeah. yeah. But like those, because she's got all these like old twit, the old old school twists, yeah. In in the in the first couple of Harry Potter novels, sure. where it's like, oh no, it turns out that guy is a good guy. You got in, in Harry yeah, yeah, Potter yeah. three and Prisoner of Azkaban, there's like five twists in the yeah. end. It's like. Hermione's been time traveling Boom. the whole time. Your dad was friends with this guy. This Boom. guy is actually your godfather. They can all turn into animals. Fuck you. <laughs> now, I remember reading that book, and yeah. I was just like, oh my. It never got better than that for me, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that particular novel. But wow. What I think is also you know, great and interesting is that she seems to also write. It, it feels like when she's writing, there's a level of maturity that's happening. Sure. She's writing it because she knows that the people reading it are getting older. She's a genius. I mean, you know, the thing is, is like, I, I, I think that I have the, my favorite. I wrote about this a long time ago. My favorite character in Harry Potter is Luna. Oh yeah. Because I think think about this. <laughs> Rowling was like, she's a world in which we're just like we just say Quidditch like it's normal, right? You know? Right, right. But she has a world in which there's a character that shows up, and they're like. Who is this person's crazy. This girl's <laughs> you know, whack. She said Nargle. So I was like, you guys just said Quidditch. Right. You know? <laughs> and like she, but she makes you buy that. Right. That there's a, somehow you can have a crackpot yeah. in this world of magic bullshit. Right. Like somehow there's somebody who's too nerdy for that. Right. That is so brilliant. And I don't, yeah. and obviously Luna doesn't show up to like the fifth book, I think. Right. But you couldn't have had Luna much earlier. Yeah. Because you need to really get people used to it. But that I think is just so is so neat and so funny. Yeah, you know, like yeah. so like such a funny character and a fun character. You know, to like have an outsider among the outsiders. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, um, yeah, yeah. and I think that that's because she kind of lost because Harry was that in the early books, but then right. she, he lost his outsider status. Right, because he became famous. Because he's famous. So like she needed she needed like Luna. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. to have somebody who was not part of the cool kids to yeah. then like have that journey happen again. But yeah, I, I, I love I love those books. So I know in last uh, I think um, a couple weeks ago or last week you were you're teaching. Yeah, teaching writing. How is that? 
Do you enjoy that? I do, yeah. So I te- I've been teaching adults for years. I've been teaching at the Gotham Writers Workshop, right. and now I'm teaching for Sackett Street Writers, yeah. and I'm starting, I'm going to be teaching Media Bistro pretty soon, and then I teach privately. Okay. Um, and then I was teaching uh, I was teaching middle school kids. How's that? So that's what I want to know about. Like, how is that? Uh... That was a one-off thing, and it was, I was... I did had, you enjoy it? I did, and I'll, yeah, and I'll tell you why, is primarily because I brought in my comic books, ah. and the 13-year-olds... And I was gambling that they were going to really like the new Miss Marvel. And the new Miss Marvel is written by an, uh, uh, primarily written by a novelist named G. Willow Wilson, and she writes for Marvel Comics now. Miss Marvel has been reimagined as a um, Muslim teenager who lives in Jersey City. Wow, Kamala Khan, and uh, that's a great name. Yeah, and I had gotten the issues because I was writing a review or something for um, I believe one of the Barnes and Noble sites like a year and a half ago, and. I was, you know, I was kind of like work for hire, and I was like mm. going to read the new Miss Marvel, and I was like, this is really good, and I was really excited, and I had read G. Willow Wilson's novel, Alif the Unseen, which was a really cool sci-fi hacker novel, um, and uh, I was like, I suspect that teenage girls like will like Miss Marvel, mm. and so I was just teaching a creative writing like kind of intro for these kids, like you know, what's character development, what are stakes, you know, what's a plot, right, you know. Um, they learned what a MacGuffin was, you ah, know. And, nice. Uh, but so we would have like a reading break, and they're kids, you know, and their attention span is all over the place. So I had a stack of the Miss Marvel comics, and they loved it. And we talked about why, because it's all, and there's all this stuff about race and identity politics, but also she's a wisecracking teenager right. who gets to hang out with Wolverine at some point. Right, you know, right. like, who doesn't love that? Yeah, right. You know, like, <laughs> it's just, it's so neat. And yeah, um, yeah I really, uh, I really was heartened. And then like, I had like a Doctor Who comic and one of the little girls was just like, this is really interesting. I really like this. And like, there's, there are no, no biases. Yeah. But yeah, and they, all, they also all, the kids loved Harry Potter. Of course. And the Hunger Games. And okay. so we were on the same intellectual level, me and these nice. kids. Like, cause okay. I was just like, I, I'm like, and I didn't have to have like the arch literary discussion about Harry Potter that I have with some of my like literary writer friends. Like right. it was like, which one's the best? Like, why do you like it? You know, yeah, it was cool it was just, when she did this. Yeah, and and, and they're like, so because we we talked about we we talked about how you introduce characters, and okay. so we we talked about the first scene where Harry meets Ron and Hermione, you yeah. know, which is funny, yeah, you know, because she's sort of mean to them, and like you know, but everything's established very efficiently of what their relationships are going to be, right, in that first scene, um, yeah, and like so, yeah, the kids, you know, I got to talk about Harry Potter and Miss Marvel. For a week, yeah, and a get paid camp. for it. And get nice. paid for it, not a lot, but yeah, <laughs> but still, yeah. nonetheless. But yeah, I, I did. We took, we went to the superhero supply store. Me and these kids awesome. in in in, in, uh, in Park Slope. I've not been there. That's the McSweeney's thing. Though. Yeah, I yeah. love McSweeney's. I think that's fantastic. I I yeah. think what what he's done in like the uh, the books that have been put out. You've been to the pirate one in, in San, San Francisco? No, I'll tell you what. When I was out, I was out in San Francisco maybe five six years ago. And it didn't even it didn't even occur to me. I was only out there for like three days, and it didn't even yeah, occur to me. Yeah, if you're not in the mission or whatever, then yeah, yeah. it just um, didn't even occur to me because I was we were trying to see everything else. It'd be my first time there, yeah. but uh, uh, I think that's fantastic. The pirate one is rad. Like yeah. it is, the 826 Valencia it is yeah. just so cool. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the superhero supplies store because I live in Brooklyn, and you know, obviously. But yeah, I, yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, for people who don't know, it's like Dave Edgar, the, the writer, has put out 
he started the eight twenty six Valencia, which was a writing classes for yeah. kids, um, and then there's the one in uh, in, in Park Slope. Uh, what's which, and what's brilliant about it, and he's done it all over the place. What's brilliant is that the the storefront because it has to be because he was in San Francisco, it was in a commercial area. That's right. Yeah, and he had to have a store, and so he created the pirate supply store. <laughs> so good. So you can go in and get your eye patches and your peg legs and yeah. your parrots and things. And then in the back was a writing for that's kids, right. which is brilliant. There's also a room in the pirate supply store that's just like a place where you sit and stare at a fish tank. <laughs> it's got all these rules of what you're supposed to do when you go into the, the fish tank room. That's funny. It's so funny. Have you read his latest uh, book, The Circle? I haven't, you know, and I meant to because it's kind of like a sci-fi book, right? Like It's it about is. like a... Like a social media cult, right? I'll tell you what. Yeah. It is It is the only book that I have ever read where I had I was actually getting anxiety reading oh, it. Oh, wow. And I had to put it down. I've, I, you know, I've known people who are like, oh, my God, that book is scary. Or, He's or awesome. I mean, Whatever like, the yeah. thing is that people get and they have to put the book down. I've never experienced it before until I read this book because he is, he is predicting yeah. things. And I'll tell you, even since I've read, there are that things that have come years out. Old. Yeah. There are things that have come out. The, the app Periscope. Uh-huh. Is basically in this book. Oh wow! Um, he's talked about in just even terms of this main character, her workspace, which is a an amalgam of Facebook and Google and sure. all of these giants. Her workspace, her desk. She has by the end of it, she has eight screens. Whether it's her laptop, whether sure. it's her tablet, it's whatever. She has eight screens that she has to work with that are designated to other things. She has to be on top of her social media. She has to do these different sure, things sure. Um, to rise to prominence in sure. this and be in the circle sure, right, sure, yeah. to complete it. And that alone, I was like, you've got to be kidding me because yeah. you know, we're already living in this world in which people aren't paying attention and they're, they're distracted by their whatever. So, Well, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I think that, you know, and I'm, I'm all about ebooks, and, you know, if you want to buy my essay collection on ebook, do it. Um, I'm for it. <laughs> Preferably from Barnes and Noble, but any way you can get it, yeah, um, uh, or Kobo, or uh, you know, whatever. But right. um, that being said, is it's been really nice to um, have gotten advanced reader copies of my book, and because I grew up, I mean, I my writing career started online, right? You know, so I've been used to reading my own stuff, sure, from a screen. So to be re- to have my essays in a book. And um, you know, and the, and the essays were rewritten. You know, some of some, a lot, you know, people were like, "Oh, you, did you just put a bunch of your blog posts into a book?" I was like, "No, no, no." Um, there's a few of these same ideas that I had. A lot of them uh, were written fresh for the book. Completely. Oh wow! Like the title essay, "Luke Skywalker Can't Read," is um, an essay about literacy in science fiction and about and about Star Wars in specific. Yeah. And the original blog post was like 900 words. Okay. Um, and it was called uh, "Everyone in the Star Wars Galaxy is Illiterate." Or something like that, right. you know, very on the nose internet title, right. and it was mostly just kind of pithy observations. And the essay in the book's like four thousand words, yeah, you know, and so yeah, it had to be rewritten because right. the language is different, right? And then just the reading of it, you know, um, yes, authors read their own books. <laughs> you have to, of course, um, to check it and stuff. Yeah, but um, the reading of it has been so pleasant. Where I've been like, oh, I'm not like anxious about this because there's not going to be a bunch of comments underneath this right away. Okay. And like, there's the, the way I'm interacting with with my writing in a book format is so much different, and it's so much calmer than um, reading online. And that's I read a lot online. Yeah. I'm not against it. Yeah. But you know, to your point, like I think that there's something you know, and there's a lot written about this about what you know what 
I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but we're, we're not making the first observations. No, here. but 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 as a writer who grew who who started writing professionally online, right, and I, and now is sort of like going the other direction sure. of doing a of doing a, a physical book, right. It's really um, it, it's it's calming. Yeah. You know, I sat in this bookstore with physical pages yeah. and a red uh, colored pencil. Yeah. And because that's still how you do it. Yeah. Um, if that's how the publishers still want it. If really? they still want you, we, you know, you do a bunch of Microsoft track changes documents yeah. initially. Okay. But then when you've got the first set of pages, they want you to fucking write on it. Physical pages. Physical pages, yeah. you know. And I think that something about that, I remember being here late at night finishing up a few like oh let's change this word to that and Anakin Skywalker spelled incorrectly you know <laughs> so yeah. things yeah. like that you know ooh was that why did they really get rid of that actress in Back to the Future I need to fact check that you know uh, um, right. but with a pen with a, yeah. or a colored pencil yeah and that's really a good feeling and I think that getting away from the screens yeah is really 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 nice right on yeah um, so we'll start wrapping it up sure and, uh, so so tell me like where can people find your stuff before your book comes out yeah so I mean I write pretty consistently for tour.com T-O-R um, I'm a contributor there um, I've been writing for Vice okay. um, every once in a while yeah um, I wrote a big thing for Vice about people crying over the new Star Wars trailer uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people losing it yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been writing for the Morning News a little bit, okay. um, which is a, a website of like essays and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I write for the Barnes & Noble uh, Sci-Fi Book Blog. Nice. Um, and, uh, Keeping yeah. busy. Keeping busy. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and I guess that like probably... Oh, I, I write for Electric Literature fair, fairly often. Okay. I'm a... I'm, you know, I interviewed Alex Garland for them, uh, Ex oh. Machina. You wow, know, director okay. Of, when, it, when the movie came out. Yeah, and then, nice. Yeah, I've got some stuff. I gotta, I'm working on something about... The Hound of the Baskervilles right now, which okay. is because its its original publication was in August of 1901. Okay, and um, yeah, I'm working on something about that, but it also relates to a personal story of mine. Okay, um, involving a scary dog. Um, okay, <laughs> so nice. uh, yeah, I'm doing that, and then there'll probably there'll be there'll be stuff out up until November 24th. And awesome, all over the place. And then that's when the physical copies come out. That's when it's when released. Book is published, yeah, and, and it'll be in bookstores. Go everywhere. Be That's awesome. Stores everywhere, yeah. So go, go get it then, and then, uh, yeah, pre-order it now. <laughs> so people, people then can actually um, buy that book. Read it and then come back here and sell it to the store and you can get it used. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's what we want. That's that's what we want. That that helps me. That helps my royalties. That's there. right. Thanks exactly. I know, right? I sold a copy of your book today at a used bookstore. Thanks, thanks yeah. for that. Yeah, well, cool. at least they bought it. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm gonna probably immediately have to revise the book um, yeah. after the Force Awakens comes out. Uh, um, well, you just gotta put a little put a little uh, forward in there, right? Or well, no. I basically am saying, like, in, in it, it's like, you know, it is sort of like a holding your breath thing, right? Yeah. Where it's like, what's going to happen with this film and Star Wars fans and fandom and science fiction and, and the world? Yeah. You know, it's very, very interesting to see. I'm very excited and also just, it generates a lot of material for me to write about. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, you, it's um, funny when you, uh, we were just, before when you were recording the uh, the essay that we're gonna people are going to yeah. hear after the end of this conversation, you brought up a point about obviously taken away from George Lucas. Have you mm -hmm. heard the Patton Oswalt bit? Which one? The one where, like, where, he, talks where he talks about the, where he talks about the old one where he talks about how if George Lucas uh, showed you uh, um, rock salt and said like you want ice cream I'm going to show you rock salt you know or like basically you like Angelina like, Jolie yeah, like, you know like, like, like oh, here's do you John like, yeah, do you, so, yeah. you, so you like you like uh, 
Yeah, you're like, you, you like, like Darth, Darth Vader? Vader? He's going to be a little well, kid. Well, he's going to come back as a little kid. Yeah. He's like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? No. Yeah, I mean. It's a, it's a great bit. No, did, I, yeah. Did I, you identify with that at all? I think I did. <laughs> I think that I've just come so far around to be like that. I think that I've just come to, I've gone through all the the stages. The of, grief. Of, 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 of that. <laughs> and I think that I've come to way more generous than I was and I also went to all those movies at midnight you know sure. every single time and every single time I was like it wasn't as bad as you think it is you know and I think that what I've come around to is that you know and this is in the, the a couple of the essays in the book is it, he just didn't make he never made movies that he thought people wanted mm. and the thing with the with the prequels is that they're just a little bit out of touch Gotcha. And they're a little bit too insular. Yeah. And I think that, and there's a lot of flaws. But that being said, is that like the Clone Wars cartoon that was spun off of that yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I've never seen it's it. It's great. Yeah. It's so good. And the new cartoon, Rebels, is really good. And they mm-hmm. created this great character, Ahsoka, who was Anakin's secret apprentice, and she's fucking awesome. And like all of that mythology that was created in the prequels and like all those different Jedi Knights and all the way that all that stuff looks, it's really cool. Yeah. And it, and like the spaceships look really good in the third, in the third prequel. Um, and the, um, you know, and the other thing is like Anakin's reason for turning to the dark side actually kind of makes way more sense than anything Luke was tempted with. Mm. It kind of like, it kind of, you kind of, if you think about it, you're like, yeah, this guy's like living a double life. And like, you know, if you just look at the broad strokes, right. It's a really smart guy. That everybody tells him he's fucking great from day right. one. You're special. But, but also, don't, no, 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 no. You can't have this. You can't have that. Don't do that. You can't have sex. You know, you're, you're, you're shut up. You know, and then he turns into Darth Vader. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's like, it kind of makes sense in the right. broad strokes. Right. And so I think that seeing that I feel so bad for Hayden Christensen, because I don't think the guy is a bad actor. Right. And I don't think that he did a, a terrible job. And he's pretty good in Revenge of the Sith, with the exception of a few outbursts. Right. But, you know, really... It should have just been start with him as a as a as a young man, yeah. and I think that that would have been a little sexier. And I think that he the character's not sexy enough, um, yeah. and I think that that is something that's missing. Yeah. But I don't. I'm not. I don't wish them undone. I don't think that. I think that if they had Ewan McGregor as the ghost of Obi Wan Kenobi in the new movie in Force Awakens, or Hayden Christensen as the ghost of Anakin Skywalker in the movies, I think that would be great. Because I think that it would just be like, look, these movies happened. Right. You know, we have to acknowledge them. They happened. Absolutely. You know, like the the Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie has a reference to the worst Star Trek show, Enterprise, in it. It is a reference to Enterprise. Yeah. You know, like where where Simon Pegg talks about Admiral Archer's Beagle. Uh, That's a reference to the Scott Bakula Star Trek, which no one likes. I mean, I I like it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I think that you have to acknowledge that stuff. And right. I think that, I think that the prequels are okay. Yeah. You know, I think that there's, yeah. there's some. There's stuff, a place for them. There's, a, there's some stuff to love in those. And then there's some. You know, a friend of mine has an argument about how they should be seen as silent films, and there's certainly, certainly something to that. Interesting. Um, but yeah, they're not. I mean, he also funded those things with his own money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I yeah. don't know. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he. I think the you know Yoda fighting. That's like a little bit of a sellout move. That's. <laughs> but like, it's not right. like he was like, I know what I'll do to sell out. Sure, I'll make him. Nobody wanted those movies that way. If he was right. trying to sell out, it would just have been like, you know, it just would have been you know what we're gonna probably gonna get now. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. Which is you know gonna be great. You know, right. and I even if it's 
even there's there's no way it's gonna be anything short of it will change everything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, no matter what the Force Awakens is in terms of quality, it will change the way nerds and geeks talk about everything. Yeah. Um, it's very exciting. It is very exciting. It's very exciting. We're we're lucky. We got a we got a Jurassic Park movie this year. You know, like never thought that was gonna happen. That when it wasn't, it was it yeah. was exciting. And yeah. like you know, we've got X Files is coming back on the air. You know, Star Wars is coming crazy. out. Like yeah. you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy how lucky we are. Yeah, yeah, we 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 we're spoiled. Right on. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, thanks for chatting with me. I sure. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks right. for having me. Yeah, man. The fans awaken. Everyone tells you the best way to be nice to yourself and have a fulfilling life is to never have regrets, or if you do, never focus on them. This advice is fine, but it also exclusively applies to you thinking about yourself when you are by yourself. A regret is a thing you think you might have been a mistake, but a mistake is a thing that other people know is a mistake. If we group both regrets and mistakes into the same phylum, let's call that phylum hypothetical trigger moments leading to a more preferable alternate universe, then we can begin to understand why it must be so hard to live each day if you are George Lucas. Even if he doesn't think he has any regrets, there's a whole world of people who are more than willing to point out his mistakes. So, The Force Awakens is practically here. What kind of Star Wars fans are we gonna be? In 2006, during the early days of online personality quizzes like, which Sex in the City character are you? Samantha. Which Spice Girls song is about your life? Wannabe. I took another quiz over and over again, hoping to get a different result. The quiz was, what kind of Star Wars fan are you? And the answer I got was, you're a hater. Not only could I not post that result to my myspace.com account with any kind of arch glee, I was also depressed by what I perceived to be an online quiz mistrial. How can I be a hater? I love Star Wars. Just because I knew better than George Lucas, which way Star Wars should have gone, didn't make me a hater. But it was true enough, precisely because I had, a, I had certainly complained about Star Wars more than I'd praised it. Not only was I being a Star Wars George Lucas hater something I often did, it was apparently a real thing. And that's because someone had thought to put it in as a result of a MySpace quiz. It meant that being, being accused of a hater was worse than a surprise. It was common. In order for something to make a comeback, it means you need to have sucked for a while. This happens all the time with bands and musicians, except that the cultural impact of a good U2 album versus a bad U2 album is nothing compared to the mammoth relevance of Star Wars. If looked at the most important pop events, TV, movies, and music of the 20th century, Star Wars is certainly in the top 10. But if we only talk about pop events after 1945, Star Wars is easily in the top 4. I can't think of anything bigger than Star Wars beyond Michael Jackson, The Beatles, and Oprah Winfrey. I'm not saying Star Wars is better than every pop event of the previous century, it's just that it's undeniably gargantuan in how much it means to people. If a bad U2 album is a meteor, then Songs of Innocence is the kind that burns up in the atmosphere. If a bad Star Wars movie is like a meteor, then The Phantom Menace is the kind that killed the dinosaurs. But how did Star Wars get ruined, and who really did the ruining? Is George Lucas the only person with regrets? Everything could have always been something different. This is true of life in a sliding doors kind of way, and obviously true of everything having to do with pop culture. Specifically, these geeky interests that permeate everyone's dreams and nightmares so constantly. There's an earworm of a song by the forgettable and truly terrible band Everclear, in which one of the lines is, like a Star Wars poster on my bedroom door. Obviously, we know for a fact that Star Wars and Star Wars posters did actually indirectly create the band Everclear, because there's no alternate universe without Star Wars that also includes Everclear. But there are also all kinds of terrible 
pop crap that more directly exists because of Star Wars, so don't blame it too harshly. The alternate universe blame game is both more fun and sadder than that, because even if Everclear can't exist without Star Wars, what's more telling about that line is the band doesn't only sing the word Star Wars, but rather a Star Wars poster. The fandom of the thing is embedded into the everyday jargon in a way that is more important or more revealing than the thing itself. Because I came of age in the 90s, let's take another popular song from that era, this time a good one. The epic rap hit, Hypnotize. Biggie Smalls informs us of all kinds of stuff that he's up to, while a chorus of other people lets us know that what he's capable of, specifically his ability to sometimes hypnotize them with his words. One line for Biggie goes like this, hit him with the force like Obi, which no matter how you slice it is a reference to Obi-Wan Kenobi. If it was just either the force or Obi without the other word, it would be something we would be able to dismiss. But infinitely more clever than those ever clear jokers, Biggie actually insinuates the Star Wars lineage of his lyric in another way. Obi-Wan Kenobi has the ability to hypnotize certain people with his words, meaning the notorious B.I.G. is obviously some kind of Jedi Knight. Up until the sale of Star Wars to Disney in 2012, I think in George Lucas's mind he was still revising the Star Wars, even after everything had been released. Despite everything I've argued for in this essay and throughout this book, Star Wars is just a movie, meaning we can't get angry with it the way we do with real people. Or to put it another way, if we do happen to get that angry, we should at least think about why. If video killed the radio star, then Star Wars fans are what made Star Wars sacred. We took Star Wars away from George Lucas, and from all the actors too, and we were 100% successful. Saying Star Wars is a victim of its own success is an understatement, on par with the teachings of Moses are popular, and there are decent acoustics in Carnegie Hall. In 2004, my friend Brittany had a problem. She was taking a George Lucas Steven Spielberg film studies course, and one of the assignments was to write a story treatment for either a sequel to Return of the Jedi or Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Brittany was, is, a big fan of Indiana Jones, but wasn't into Star Wars. Can you help me, Ryan? She asked. And so I said, sure, let's write a sequel to Return of the Jedi that's also a prequel to all the Indiana Jones movies. What we came up with can only be described as Raiders of the Lost Dinosaur Planet. It went something like this. The opening credit crawl tells us there's been a great famine in the galaxy. Everyone is starving to death, and the only solution, it seems, is to actually leave the galaxy where everyone lives and go somewhere else. In a Battlestar Galactica-esque move, Luke, Han, Lando, and Leia pack up everything they, and everyone they love onto a giant, unused prototype of the Death Star, which they've painted white and renamed the Life Star. It's the size of a small planet and will take them across the galaxy to their new home. Meanwhile, living inside of a volcano, a bunch of zombie Sith Lords awaken and decide they want to leave the galaxy too. They follow the Life Star across space until it rolls up on a lush, beautiful planet in a great solar system. It's Earth, but it's Earth during dinosaur times. Luke and company head down to the planet and think about setting up Terra Nova style when the new Sith attack. Luke has a bunch of other Jedi Knights in training now, so there's a small army of folks with lightsabers. The Sith are similarly prepared, and everyone is ready to ride some dinosaurs. Meanwhile, did I mention Leia is pregnant? While dinosaurs and lightsabers are gratuitously featured in an awesome battle scene that includes five chase sequences and Lando riding a pterodactyl, Leia is fighting a different battle on the Lice Star against Sith Sowaways. Han is fairly, fairly useless at this point because Leia's lightsaber skills are totally badass. But suddenly she goes into labor. Things are looking pretty bad for the good guys, so Han decides that they'll freeze the baby in carbonite as soon as it's born. That way, no matter what happens, the baby will be safe. Depressingly, everything goes downhill, and because I've watched Beneath the Planet of the Apes too many times, the super laser of the Life Star accidentally set, get, sets off and zaps the atmosphere of the Earth, killing the dinosaurs and everyone else. Luckily, 
Just before this goes down, Han and Leia's child is tucked away in a cave, safely encased in carbonite, an immortal infant. Like Captain America, only a baby from space. The coda of this movie would reveal archaeologists circa the early 1900s excavating a weird cavern only to discover a newborn baby. Suddenly a young Sean Connery would appear, CG obviously, and hold the baby before softly saying, Junior. The movie ends with a baby a little older, a toddler now, playing with a big sheepdog that Sean Connery calls Indiana. I'm not sure if Brittany ever ended up using that story treatment, but I do know she passed a class, and is to this day a real live working screenwriter. I also of course never believed there would be a sequel to Return of the Jedi until now, which is why when asked to create one, I dreamt up a joke. Like all of you, I thought Star Wars belonged to me. Even during the prequel era, I was right. Everybody loved Boba Fett so much that George Lucas put Boba Fett's dad in Attack of the Clones in 2002. See, we've been getting our way with Star Wars more than we care to admit. Now, even though we were told we'd never get a sequel to Return of the Jedi, we're somehow living in an age where that is happening too. And these guys, unlike me, are taking it seriously. Star Wars has been accused of being a new kind of cultural mythology, and like superheroes, I think that's relatively true. But, up until right now, it's never actually been passed down to a new generation. What's been ruining Star Wars all these years, and what sometimes continues to ruin it, is its insistence on looking backwards. Collectively, both fans and George Lucas knew the classic trilogy could never be topped, so instead we got the special editions, and a glorified backstory in the form of the prequels. To actually make a sequel to Return of the Jedi, and by extension the real Star Wars movies, is much riskier, and requires everyone to actually move on and leave the baggage of the old stories behind. The prequels and the special editions inherited the emotional baggage of our childlike love of the original films, and so we didn't like them, and in fact we hated them. Hate, we're told by Yoda, leads to the dark side, which is probably why Star Wars has been perceived to be in need of this comeback. Smartly, Obi-Wan Kenobi intentionally lets Luke Skywalker take over the heroic narrative of the story in A New Hope, and ever since then, fans around the world have longed to have that lightsaber passed to them too. With Lucas leaving and letting younger people like J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson actually make real Star Wars movies, it's sort of like that has happened in real life. I'm closer in age to J.J. Abrams than I am to George Lucas. J.J. Abrams and Johnson are possibly bigger fans of Star Wars than George Lucas. This is a good thing. Things are really starting anew. The exciting thing about something like Star Wars is that it perpetually reminds us that everyone can have new beginnings. Everyone can change. Everyone can be redeemed. And now that the father of this insanely important popular event has allowed a different generation to take over, maybe the rest of us can move on too. It's time to get over ourselves. We can stop being haters by letting go of our hate. There's still good in us. I can feel it.